Do you ever find yourself confused when it comes to health and fitness? Have you been searching relentlessly on the most effective ways to achieve your fitness-related goals, only to find yourself even more frustrated? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to learn from the best, shorten your learning curve, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. Welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. My name is Mike Perry, and I'm here with the man, the myth, Brett Jones. Brett, how are you today, my friend? Pumpkin spice feelings. Pumpkin spice feelings. Every it's one fall. of my favorite favorite albums. If you guys pumpkin spice. Um, um, yeah, doing fine. You know, um, actually, sunshine in the in the berg today which uh don't you start that don't you start that it's gonna start pouring any second now um we're not talking about weather though are we and we're not talking about pumpkin spice feelings although nope. we probably will for the remainder of the fall until we have other things to talk about that are nonsensical either, um anywho either, either that or we'll debate oreos again although someone told me i did have a private message that said that the oreo i mean the halloween oreos with the orange filling were really good. Yeah. Have, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm that. not, well, I'm still, I'm still thinking I'm processing. I don't know where to go with that. I'm going to have to get some and try. Uh, you know what? I like where you go, up, buddy. Um, but today, maybe, I think what we'll talk about maybe is uh cattle ball uh, ballistics. I like it. All right. So that was today's podcast. <laughs> We've covered. Um, all right. So, hey, so Brett, thanks for joining. What, <laughs> thank you. Uh, we have done what we said we would do. Um, Brett, what are, what are the kettlebell ballistics? So um, broad strokes, swings, cleans, snatches, jerks. Um, and I mean, you can put the push press in there as well, because that, that is certainly done with momentum, but if you're heavy enough, there's going to be a press out. Um, and I think a couple of things to drill down on I th first is, pardon me, like the definition of a ballistic. So, and, and we're just going to talk about it in terms of, uh, um, uh, a bullet or a gun versus a missile. So a bullet or a gun, the hammer hits the primer. There's an explosion. There goes the bullet. That is all the energy the bullet is ever going to receive. It's done. It received all its energy in one shot. Off it goes. The missile continues to drive, push, and have um, power behind it uh, until it reaches its target. So when we're thinking about the swing, the clean, snatch, jerk, etc., we're imparting the energy uh, pushing down through the ground, extending the hips, imparting the energy to the valve in one hip snap, coming up into that extended standing plank position. That is all the energy the bell will ever have until gravity acts on it again, and we reconnect and we hike again. 
So we'll talk about the overspeed eccentric and the unique aspect of using the kettlebell here uh, later. But this force production, this ballistic force production, um, all the energy the bell gets happens at the hip extension. And um, that's that's important because we're not driving with the arms. There's not, and this is one of the things that I kind of don't like about banded swings. If anybody's seen those, where you're using the band to provide a little extra resistance and then momentum on the on the hike, is typically the arms get way too involved. Um, people will use too heavy a band; they start, you know, lifting with the arms, uh, and it and it can really change your swing. So I, I think that the the concept of treating your swings, cleans, snatches, as ballistics, where all the energy gets imparted in a moment, you got to let that energy do its thing, then then proceed to your next rep. You know, it, it's funny as we sort of look at the true definition of 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 ballistics, right? And especially in with with firearms, there's this sort of this moment of energy, and then it kind of you know flies through the air. Um, with the kettlebell, the main difference is, is you're not letting go of the kettlebell. And that's something very important to understand because med balls, med ball throws are ballistics as well. But yes, there is a coil. There is an eccentric motion, but the eccentric is the loading point in which to create a, a concentric movement to throw the medicine ball. So therefore you have a ballistic. But the main difference is, is um, depending on what style of medicine ball throw you're doing, whether you're just doing like an explosive rep where you're doing, you know, you're ripping one with a, with a big, big shuffle. And then you're taking, you know, 20, 30 seconds off. That's one variation, um, of, of a ballistic, but, uh, there are other times where, you know, you may throw it against the wall and catch and recoil. So you have more time with your hands on the implement too. So, you know, I, I look at ballistics as a little bit of a continuum, right? Because you're not going to let go of the kettlebell. I mean, I've, I've gone to a field and done swings and chucked them over my head and man, it's pretty fun. Um, and, and I highly recommend that you, if you do train with kettlebells, get out there and play, right? I mean, obviously make sure it's not on like your neighbor's lawn because it's gonna, it's not gonna look good. But I mean, get out there and chuck some kettlebells over your head. I mean, they're steel. Um, and, and my point is, is I'm not saying go do a bunch of workouts throwing kettlebells, but I think what it'll do, just like jumping, is it will give you a visual of sort of where the bell lands or how high you can jump. Because when we create power with a kettlebell, unless we have a force plate, or something to look at power into the ground, we don't have a metric. It's based off of feel, which is not a bad thing. I mean, that's, in my opinion, one of the best things you can do is, is base your movement off of feel. But at the same time, it's nice to have a metric, right? So Brett, let me ask you this. When it comes to ballistics, does weight selection matter? 100%, because what we start to see is at a certain point, the weight has become so heavy that one of two things happen. Uh, first, and what we would prefer to have happen is the weight is so heavy versus your strength and power output that you lose the ballistic action. Because how do we, how do we know we produced a ballistic swing? The float, that moment at the top where nothing happens. It's like being on the tower of terror and you hear the pins go click. And you hang there for a second and you're like, <gasps> and then you drop. That's what we're looking for in the, in the swing. We want to produce so much power that we get that moment of float before gravity takes over again and, and brings it down. 
what what will start to happen ideally is you'll go so heavy that you'll lose the float. It's just up and down. <laughs> there's there's no float. It's it's as soon as you've produced your power and it swings away from you a little bit, it's starting the journey back down because it didn't have that true ballistic uh, pop of power to it. The second thing that we see a lot is people allow it to change their swing. They're swinging so heavy that instead of accepting the bell back into the hinge, uh, and we'll talk about <clears throat> knee bend in the hinge here in just a minute, the, the hike back into the hinge and the extension up becomes a counterbalancing swing where out of the bottom, there's more pushing the body back via knee extension than there is driving the hips forward into hip extension. And that sort of counterbalancing swing, um, the bell will move, but you're not producing the athletic hip extension and and hike uh, over speed eccentric or loaded eccentric position, that which is really what we want to get out of uh, of our kettlebell ballistics. Yeah, and and we talk about weight selection and. You know, there, there is some data and some criteria on sort of optimal weight selection. And I know, um, you know, if you look at a lot of the work from West, uh, West Side Barbell and their dynamic effort day, um, where they're doing about 50 to 55 percent of, of their of their, you know, one RM on their deadlifts where they're doing doubles. You know, they're doing like a double at 60 or 50 percent of speed work on a deadlift. And then they're going to rest, you know, 90 seconds to two minutes and do some repeats of that. But you have to realize, look, they're using the, the, the key point there. Right. When you talk about speed is weight selection. Again, the guys from West, the West side are saying about half of what your normal deadlift is. But here, here's here's the, the reality of training a speed day is if you don't know how to deadlift with speed, it's a skill. Speed deadlifts are very, very uh, skill oriented because now you're taking something that was once a grind and you're changing it to a ballistic, but it's the same movement. So um, a lot of the times people don't understand the difference because they feel like it's just lighter. Well, you need to have the skill and the technique to learn how to accelerate a lightweight fast. And that in itself is a skill. And that's one of the things that we talk about, you know, with strong first methodology is, you know, you know, try to make, Oh, go ahead. And the, the, the difference that I would draw there between a kettlebell ballistic and barbell speed work is just what you referred to, like with the medicine ball, with the medicine ball, you've got to release with the kettlebell swing um, or snatch, we end up placing it overhead uh, or we end up swinging it. So we're not releasing, but there is the full range of motion of the swing, clean, snatch, whatever it is, is at the hips. Other than looking for the float, I don't care what the bell does. Mm -hmm. So when I'm doing a barbell bench um, or um, the speed deadlift, I'm going to try to use compensatory acceleration and accelerate through that range of motion, but I'm coming to an end point and the bar's not going anywhere. There is, there's no release or um, ballistic component to it. We're just trying to accelerate. Um, bench makes a lot more sense when we talk about this, because you can do a, if you're silly enough to do it, or you have one of the like $10,000 Smith machines that does actually catch the, the, the bar. Um, if, if you do happen to launch it, um, you can do a, a 
chest release bench press where mm-hmm. you accelerate all the way through and you actually toss the bar in the air. Now, this is a really stupid idea to do on your own uh, and try to do ballistic barbell benches. I'm going to say that again. That is a really stupid idea because you're now relying on yourself to release and catch a barbell that you've thrown in the air over your face. Don't. Don't do it. Okay. Um, If you have the Smith machine uh, that catches the barbell for you, if you set the pins high enough, I guess, but it's just a stupid idea. I see it on Instagram. Uh, Just don't. Okay. But it draws a good comparison because when you look at the EMG research on a speed bench or a release bench, what you see is when you still hold on to the bar, you spend the last arguably third of the motion slowing down because your brain goes, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, this thing's moving really fast and I'm only going so far with it, so now I need to put the brakes on. So there are times where we do speed work that doesn't get us any speed because we end up slowing down in the top third of the motion because we're we're still connected to the implement. That's the power of <laughs> it's it's ballistic humor. Uh, that's the power of um, the swing and things like medicine ball throws. Uh, we get a full release of that of that power and energy and, and directed in a very different fashion than a lot of our quote speed work with the barbell. So I would draw a difference there between the, the speed work with the barbell versus the true ballistic work uh, of a swing and a med ball. Absolutely. And, and, and um, I did a terrible job at trying to make my point and uh, you did a much better job of it. I guess what I was trying to say is, you know, if someone is doing speed work with a barbell, they're using half of what they would normally train with as their one hour round. There's a reason why it's slight because um, you are looking for a certain type of bar speed and that's when you can get into sports science and you can look at, you know, a tendo unit or, um, you know, measure RSI and all that other stuff, you know, the, the, the velocity of the barbell. And, um, that is your, that is your guide, right? So just to, to let you guys know, you know, we, there's been push bands that you guys have done research on and, uh, you know, there's been all this other thing, but you know, the, really the, the key point here, when you're looking at true speed development and or power is, you know, if the implement that you're using is not moving at a certain rate, you're getting slower. So that is why it's so important to measure when it comes to true speed, because, you know, um, it doesn't lie. You may think, wow, it's moving really, really quickly. And then you realize it's not. Um, and for whatever reason, the weight feels differently, but that's why we can't go off of uh, thoughts and feelings when it comes to sports science and athletic performance, because we need metrics. And, you know, I think it's important to be like, oh, if that feels good. And you're like, well, yeah, that felt good, but guess what? It wasn't. So we need to, <laughs> we need to sort of reassess, but I think it's important for people to understand and, and get a little dose of reality of what, like what it means to measure speed and what it means to train for speed, because I don't think a lot of people truly understand it. I think what happens is it starts off with a template and it eventually turns into conditioning. That's what almost everybody does is they take their speed and power work and they eventually turn it into condition. I love it. That, that, that's a, it's a, a massive point. Um, Cause if you're actually going to do sprinting to increase speed, uh, you're not doing that on a one-to-one work to rest ratio. No. Uh, you're, you're doing that on like a one to 20, <laughs> one to 30 work to rest ratio. 
um, and you and you're giving plenty of rest so that you can have that really high power output um, and and actually work on your speed. The um, what we found some initial force plate information kind of ballparked about 30% body weight uh, being a load where kind of optimal power is produced. It's probably, there's definitely some wiggle room, um, strength base experience. Um, I've, I'm waiting for Antonio Squilante to get back to me with some force plate data from when I was at the NSCA and on the vault uh, force decks. Um, and we also did a little session with the push band and I was asking him afterwards, you know, because of, you know, it's like how much you bench, uh, I'm like, well, how's, <laughs> how's that compared to other results you've seen? And he was basically like, I've never seen numbers like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I 20 plus years of swinging a bell. I, I know how to produce a little bit of power, uh, sw okay. swinging the bell. So I'm going to stop you right there. Please. I'm gonna Does that mean necessarily that you have way more power than everyone else in that particular movement yes but now am I, am I jumping up onto the roof of the house no okay specificity <laughs> is king right so uh the devil's in the dose right yeah you put jones on a force plate he knows how to swing a kettlebell really well and his i would say there's probably not a ton of biomechanical flaws well, that was the other thing that came out of the vault uh, initial looking at it is I was nearly perfectly symmetrical between my right and left foot. Of course was, you are, Mr. Mr. Fancy Pants. You talking about how perfectly symmetrical you are. No, no, but that no, but joking aside, that does tell us a lot about power production. Because one of the things people don't understand is when you get on a force plate that only measures bilateral force, not unilateral side to side comparisons, you can think especially like return to play stuff, you can think that because it's a bilateral a bilateral movement that it's a symmetrical load and that could not be further from the truth. And that is why force plates can both be severely impactful in a return to play setting, but also in a performance set. Because at the end of the day, right? What are we looking for? We're looking for deficits and opportunities for low hanging fruit. And what do we want to do is in a return to play situation, we want to get them bigger, stronger, faster and symmetrical. In a performance setting, what do we want them to be? Bigger, stronger, faster, and symmetrical. So it's the same stuff. It's just applied very, very differently. But to, to Brett's point about force into the ground, I mean, that will tell you a lot. And um, I'm going to be honest, like it doesn't surprise me when I watch a guy like Brett swing or a guy like Jason Marshall swing. When you look at it, you go, that just looks strong, especially when they make a hundred pound kettlebell, you know, look like a ping pong ball. So um, I think it's important to understand the, the technical efficiency paired with strength, power, exposure over 20 years. That is what warrants some really good numbers on a force plate, not just being wicked strong. Agreed. And I think that um, when what Antonio Squilante and I have focused on as far as the force deck um, sort of data that we've tried to put together is the eccentric load. And I think that that is, that is one of the aspects that is the secret sauce of kettlebell ballistics in, in my opinion, uh, that ability to get into that loaded eccentric position, um, absorb and redirect that force in a dynamic 
very powerful fashion. That is why we get the what the hell effect. That is why we get such great uh, transfer to other activities because that loaded eccentric carries over to a lot of other things that we want to do. And so having a good hinge, having the ability to sit into that athletic hinge position, and I still run into this and it, and it, people, if you bend your knees, people are like, you squat it. Bending your knees doesn't mean you squat it. Like deadlift a barbell without bending your knees. It's going to be really freaking hard. Um, Not if you're hypermobile. <laughs> <laughs> vertical leap without bending your knees. Um, you're not going to go very far, right? Um, but as soon as we transition into a deadlift or a swing, if you bend your knees, you squat it. That's just not, it's just not true. Um, I'm, I learn something every time I swing. I'm 20 plus years into this and I'm still learning. And uh, I did a set of uh, two arm swings the other day that it just, man, it felt good. And I was focusing on a little bit of more knee bend uh, in, in my eccentric position. And when we start drawing the lines between the swing, the clean, the snatch, um, and I have another story about the jerk in the swing uh, here in just a second, but um, we know the clean and the snatch are a more vertical projection of force. We're not projecting the bell away from us the same way we do uh, in the swing. We're wanting that force to come straight up. Now on the drop, it does slightly change the drop. We're not sitting back into that hinge in the same fashion. We are bringing the bells into the hinge but we know we're redirecting them into a, a more vertical force production. So it changes a bit. And where we see this happen supernaturally, not supernatural as in, you know, Halloween, but very naturally is double bell work. When you start doing double bell cleans and double bell snatches, especially if you're re-snatching from the rack, half snatches, uh, you're going to, you're going to really feel the difference uh in that hinge position but uh yeah that that loaded eccentric and and uh allowing some knee bend it's where a lot yeah, of se and, secret sauce is well so you know the knee bend thing um i work with a lot of youth athletes a lot of youth athletes and i'm going to be honest with you if you can teach them to hinge early and often and 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 also hinge weight shifting into the right side into the left side almost like a lunge or a change of direction right being able to sit into one hip but also being able to sit into another you'd be amazed by the way on how many individuals uh, cannot sit into one hip but can sit in the other watch someone do a windmill like watch someone do a windmill on their quote unquote good side and then on their quote unquote not good side and not only is it going to look different, but it's going to feel very foreign to them. Ask me how I know, because when I started first doing windmills, I was like, I don't even know what the hell this is happening right now. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's one of those things where um, it's a nice lesson in symmetry as well. Right. And, and that's that's the beauty of it. But another thing is the weight will teach you. Because you can move a lightweight several different ways. Like if I gave Brett a 16 kilo kettlebell and I said, Brett, how many different paths and techniques could you snatch this? He could probably be there all day. All of them. All, all <laughs> 24 and a half from our research. But if I said, Brett, I need you to snatch the beasts. 
it's a different strategy. You don't have a ton of options, right? So yeah, you've got one option. <laughs> but my point is, is, is that's why it's important to just get exposure to kettlebells. Because if you just train light, you'll never learn anything about tension and strength. And if you just train heavy, it's going to be tough understanding the relaxation component. So um, weight selection is, is yes, it's important and, and from the ego standpoint, but it's also important for skill acquisition, for power production. So look, if you are really trying to determine what the adaptation is, you have to think about what the physiology says. And you know, going back to ballistics, you know, it's going to vary. Your load is going to vary depending on your volume. Like I used to do, um, one of my favorite snatch sessions was I would do 10 by three and three. And I'd start off with, you know, 24s, three and three, just quick, explosive. And I'd take a minute, minute and a half off, and maybe I'd do another set or maybe I'd go to the 28s. And then I'd finally top out, you know, for me, I was snatching the 40, but, but it was 10 sets of three and three over the course of, you know, 15, 20 minutes. That's how I program my ballistic. But at the same time, you can do repetitive lightish ballistics in that sort of 50 to 60% range, or like a power clean in which you are going to do one rep at a time or one to two reps at a time, then the strategy changes and the load changes just to make it that much more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that um, that focus on... Um, how you're moving the weight, um, getting into that good load, loaded eccentric position, um, redirecting it the way that you, the way that you want to, uh, having high power output, uh, looking for the float, um, you know, all of those things uh, really matter. I know when I'm working with a new person uh, or somebody who's in the process of learning uh, a skill like the swing. Um, I will challenge their technique with a heavier weight to see if anything changes. You give me a very experienced person, I am going to challenge them with a lighter weight. So if they're yeah. doing, quote, all of their swings with the 36 to 48 because they're trying to progress towards sinister, um, I will work with that person and have them do swings with a 16 and see what changes. Because mm -hmm. it shouldn't, <laughs> you should, you should be able to, uh, to, to make that, uh, change, um, and still keep, uh, the same, um, look to what you're doing. Uh, but you internally adjust to that lighter weight, but you keep the skill and the efficiency that that heavier weight has built. Um, so there's a, there's a contrast there between the person that's on the, on the ramp progression ramp and the person that's at a higher point on that ramp, uh, two different strategies to challenge, uh, to challenge that. Yeah. And, and as a coach, that's where you have to make the decision on what's going to be, uh, literally the best approach moving forward. And, and look, it may work, it may not, but that's just part of the learning process. Um, you know, with all that stuff, um, let me ask you this, Brett, like, what do you feel like when it comes to ballistics, what do you feel like is sort of the consistently missing point with people when it comes to being efficient with their ballistics? What do you feel like people struggle with? I mean, I know I have a couple ideas, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, instead of being purposefully powerful, they're panicked. They're, they're trying to rush the movement 
Um, they're either concerned about RPMs, how many reps per minute they're going to be able to knock off, um, or they're, they literally lose the sequencing and patience to properly extend up through that hip extension uh, in order to be truly powerful. Um, those, those are the, the two biggest things I see. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I would say, again, it's just programming. Like a lot of people, they, what they do is they, they think the natural jump from power is to conditioning. Whereas to be honest, if you sort of hit that point where you feel like you don't have any more room for power work, just reboot, man, start the process over a little bit heavier weight. And that's what people do for the rest of their lives. Like you can't just magically change the recipe and expect to get the same result. Like you can't train for power and eventually take that power template, turn it into conditioning, but still be able to create power. You know what I'm saying? Like if your goal is true power, if it's, you know, 90% or higher. Now, if we're talking about, you know, doing something like an iron cardio where you're not hitting a one RM, you're actually hitting a weight that's repeatable over time. That's a different conversation. Um, but there's, there's a lot of complexity in it. Well, and that's the brilliance behind all the, uh, a and a, um, and anti-glycolytic work that, that Pavel has really driven the uh, programming and conditioning uh, work to within Strong First, because now we are focused on uh, using a strategy that allows for high power output with good recovery. And we sustain that over time and get the aerobic benefit. So that alactic plus aerobic sort of mindset really does change the, the equation. I'm not trying to panic myself through 20 swings as fast as I can do them and then only resting, you know, a one-to-one -one or less work to rest ratio. Um, now I'm doing five seconds of work, six seconds of work, maybe upwards of 10, um, but more like five or six seconds of work. And I'm have this one to 10 work to rest ratio um, where now I'm resting for a minute or more before I do five more seconds of work. Now my power out can be, power output can be really high and again it's sustainable and so i get aerobic work uh, as as i sustain the effort um so it's it's a really different way to approach it and uh, when most people start thinking power for conditioning to your point now we start that work to rest ratio gets all out of whack now we're trying to do 20 30 a minute's worth of swings only rest for 30 seconds and repeat that minute of swings and during that minute of swings, I'm, I've got this panicked, uh, God, I wish we used video because my my uh, my mimicking of a panic swing just then was hilarious. Um, but you, 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 you know it when you see it, this panicked swing. And, you know, from a fighting standpoint, it, it would be the fighter or the boxer that knows, you know, they're not panicked in the ring. They're snapping off a jab. They're snapping off a hook. Um, and it's happening when they want it to, um, and, and they're just not, and you, we've, we've all seen the end of a fight when you're in the last 10 seconds of a fight and they're just like, ah, you know, just kind of, or we've been, in, you've seen a bad bar fight scene, uh, from a movie, uh, and you know, it's just repeated windmills and just, just looks like yeah. panicked crappy movement. Uh, there's a huge difference, uh, in, in that application. And let's be honest, you shouldn't be panicking in your strength and conditioning or in your fitness program, right? Like, like you shouldn't be like, oh, I don't know if this is going to happen. Hopefully what you did is you, you followed a program that was sequential and had consistent steps in the process. And, but also understand too, that there is this, uh, 
idea of res, uh, residual fatigue that as you go down, the further you go down the path, you're going to have a little tick down in power and a little tick down in power. So the question is, is, and this is the sweet spot. At what point do we stop? Because you want to keep well, going because you feel like you can, right. right? But are you changing now because of your fatigue? Is it becoming conditioning instead of power? But look, the work to rest template could be the same, right? Yep. But and what is it? So, and we would use the strong first stop signs. Mm -hmm. um, rep speed slows down, tempo changes, et cetera. And uh, based on uh, my experience in having to get people to use those stop signs, and this is Pavel's experience, um, I was the online chat moderator for the strong endurance workshop that happened in Miami earlier this year. Every person he called up to demonstrate a particular protocol, he had to stop them. Mm -hmm. He was the one seeing the rep speed change. He was the one seeing their tempo change. The person during doing the work um, was so focused on accomplishing the reps that they weren't looking for the stop signs. And honestly, that's how 99% of us train. Um, mm -hmm. I was doing a rep ladder, uh, iron cardio yesterday. And uh, the last sequence, which I wanted to get back to my 60 sets, 10 ladders, uh, I did 36 sets because on my last set of three on each arm, that last rep slowed down. This is the right place to stop. And so applying the stop signs is, is huge here. And I did, I did want to mention uh, quickly um, two things to the point of what we're talking about. Um, I have a, a student of mine that's doing one of the uh, strong endurance jerk protocols, and he was into his third set of, uh, of the, the training for that day. And as soon as he started, I was like, oh, yeah, this is his last set. <laughs> like the first set, second set looked just like it. As soon as he started the third set, I was like, oop, nope, that's it. And it was a it was a couple reps below what they had accomplished on the first two sets. And it was just clear. It was just obvious. And he felt it. You know, he's he's the one that pulled the plug and said, but as soon as he started, I'm like, yep, the first two sets just showed up in in the third set, which is exactly what you were talking about. That that kind of residual fatigue. If you're not taking 15 minutes or more between sets or sequences, you will accumulate fatigue. It's, it is going to happen. Uh, the other thing I noticed is, and this is a jerk protocol, but I had the bright idea of adding a day of swings because I can't follow a plan. I have to tweak and do things. Um, as soon as he started swinging, I was like, I see your jerks in your swing. And it, it was beautiful. I mean, it was a great, great swing. And so I think there's more uh, transfer and reason to do jerks uh, than maybe a lot of us uh, account for. And uh, that's a that's a different kind of uh, uh, ballistic. And it's a it's a different because of the two uh, dips and the 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 action of the jerk. Um, for change of direction, for being able to control, uh, drop your center of mass, a lot of athletic applications as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of our new coaches, uh, Kevin, he's on uh, Team USA for the GS team as Master of Sport, strong first instructor. Um, 
I mean, he's, he's ridiculous. And when you see him just, you know, go for 20 minutes straight and he's just got a 40 kilo and I mean the timing and like, even when he's in the rack position and obviously the GS rack is, is very <laughs> different than a hard style rack, but it's, it look, don't hear what I'm not saying. GS is an amazing sport compared to hard style. It's just different. And actually even Kevin would say, I teach people hard style before I teach them GS, because I think it's the right thing to do. And this is a guy that knows a lot about GS. So, um, you know, you can take that where you'd like, but, um, the thing that I really, really notice when I watch him is when he does his jerks and he dips, it is just every dip is the same and the cylinder, right? And, and yes, we know that the, the positioning is a little bit different. We have a little bit more exaggerated hip extension, elbows sort of rest a little bit lower, but you can tell that when he does have that ballistic pop, his body is working in concert. There's not too much from the legs or too much from the arms or too much from here or too much from there. Um, when a ballistic is done right, you shouldn't feel it anywhere. It should just be an event in which the body works in a coordinated effort to complete a lift. So, you know, when people are like, where should you feel that? It's like, yes, <laughs> like seriously. And that's the yeah. way it is. It's, it's kind of like, you kind of know when it happens, it's almost like, a. Um, I'm not a big golfer, but I have golfed in the past and you know, you kind of, when you hit it, you can kind of feel it. Same thing. If you've been snatching a lot, like I've done, I've done some pretty cool stuff, but at a certain point when you get in your rhythm, you're like, man, I found it. Like, I am just like, I'm just hanging out in my rhythm and, um, and that's why it's really, really important. But, um, you know, I think the big thing and the, and the, the secret of, of kettlebell ballistics is feel. What I mean by that is you have to know and you have to be aware of what's going on. You have to sort of pay attention to the warning signs and what your body's doing. If you're, if you're in la la land, then you're, you're in la la land. You're not paying attention. And, you know, I, I have found, I don't know about you. And, and I've actually, I think Pavel has talked about this, right. Um, that while there is a little bit, there's a benefit of obnoxious sound within a training environment. There's something to be said about listening to your own breath and to your own heartbeat into your own body. Is there something, did Pavel say something about that? How the Soviets approached that Brett? I'm not, I'm not pulling any, anything out of the memory banks. Um, but, but like definitely mentioned something about that, about like, Hey, you know, avoiding distractions and, and paying attention to your breath. And, and I'll have to find out where I, I, I learned about that, but I forget what it was, but it was really about, Hey, look, like when you run or when you're doing anything active, when you really start to pay attention to what your body's doing, you can start to feel those little small changes. Whereas if you just get your headphones on and you're dodging cars in the street, it's not ideal. Well, and I think the the big thing there is is excitation. Um, yeah. There, if if I'm approaching um, a, a one RM deadlift, then yeah, a little bit of you know, daddy didn't hug me, mommy didn't love me music uh, can. Um, can create some extra motivation for um for the lift that can be part of ramping up that adrenaline uh and and having that extra little boost for that one rm um if i am doing a set of you know 10 good hard style swings i, I don't need that excitation and that that's actually a misinterpreted thing from when uh westside barbell and louis simmons put in these max effort days. Um, the max effort day was to be with zero excitation, zero adrenaline. 
you were just walking up to the bar and hitting a hitting a PR or, or a max effort without the excitation. Because if you get used to juicing that adrenaline system and using that excitation every time you lift, um, that's a problem. Um, a, the adrenal system and the way it functions in the body and, and everything is, is a little bit of a finite resource. Uh, it's like uh, NOS, uh, nitrous oxide for your car. It'll make the car go really fast. You might not be able to use it <laughs> once you get to the, if you overuse the NOS, you're definitely not going to be able to use the car again. Um, so you you use it to get a little boost and then you you back away from it. Good for a sprint, not for a marathon. But most people approach their training with this constant, you know, it's the pre-workout and then it's the angry music and then it's the, and I'm really disappointed you didn't laugh at uh, mommy didn't love me, daddy didn't hug me music. Um, You've used that one so, before, so I'm just going to let it go. It's it's like uh, it's like hearing the same joke twice. So we're good. <laughs> That's all I got. Sorry, just, that's I that's all have, I got too. I'll, I only um, have the same joke multiple times, but yeah, I, I think that that's, and that's the, another part of that kind of panicked swing and uh, over trying to overpower your swing or swing or clean or snatch. Um, and, and that, that rage sort of adrenaline based, rah, you know, uh, quick lift. Usually those are not the ones that are very productive. It's funny you say that. So I'm preparing uh, one of my clients. We're heading out to Coventry, England, uh, actually next week to compete in the IPL drug tested world championship. So we're going to try to set a world record in his uh, in his uh, his age group. And um, one of the things that we had talked about was, you know, his approach to the bar. Very, very bright guy. And this guy would, you know, back in the day, he'd be almost too nonchalant, almost like not enough excitation. And he's like, I like to be Zen. I go, honestly, dude, there's almost 500 pounds on the bar. Like you're a little too Zen. So I was like, we got to find a way for you to stay relaxed. But, you know, a minute before that lift, we got to get you ready to go. And it doesn't have to be with, you know, sniffing ammonia and, you know, drinking 19 Red Bulls beforehand. Right. And, and, and the reason why is, and look, a lot of people do that. That's their choice. But for this individual, we found that, you know, when he did have too much caffeine, his lifts were just very, very inconsistent because you never know how the stimulant is going to impact your body based off of food, based off of sleep, everything else. So it's not repeatable, right? Cause you just don't know how it's going to hit you. And, and depending on what you get, or if you try something different, um, you just never know. It's just a very inconsistent, like way to train. It's just because you can get jazzed up and uncork a heavy, heavy deadlift, and that's maybe somewhat impressive doesn't mean you're going to go to a powerlifting meet and do the same thing and win. And a lot of people, they, they, it's like the beast tamer challenge, Brett. A lot of people arrive at a certification doing the beast tamer challenge, but they've never, they've never done any of them. And they just think adrenaline and hype is going to get them through. And at a certain, at a certain point, too much excitation will actually limit your ability to focus and you're probably going to end up having shitty technique because all you're going to do is rush the process and probably won't go well. <laughs> so uh, the only thing thing in the back of my mind while you were talking about, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the proper amount of, of excitation and everything, especially for over the top. Oh, yeah. The old Stallone movie. Um, yeah. You know, and that's one of Pavel's jokes. You know, intensity is not a turned around baseball cap. But uh, when you watch over the top, what you'll see 
because you're all going to go do that now that I that I mentioned it. Um, when you watch over the top, you're going to see Stallone going against people that are you know, swallowing lit cigars and uh, drinking motor oil and slapping themselves in the face and, you know, really getting into a, a rage state. And Stallone just walks up, turns the ball cap around backwards, and there he is. He's ready to go. And um, that's really like I, I was asked when I was bending nails and, and different different things like that. Like, you know, how do you how do you get ready to to do that? And I'm like, it's just there. Like I never had to um, I never had to search for the excitation or the anger or the like, it's just there. Um, just, I, I'm always angry. <laughs> I, honestly uh it's 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 I'm, I'm not i'm not the hulk or bruce banner but uh <laughs> I, I, basically yeah it's just right there beneath the surface if i need to tap into it it's not it's too there. far away i i it reminds me of a shirt i saw the other day and it was like uh i forget what it was but it was a, a t-shirt and it had like a, a candy corn on it but it was like a candy corn with like jacked arms and it, like a mean face. And it says, I don't like you either. <laughs> I was like, that is the perfect Halloween costume. But um, That's awesome. Anyways, Brett, we covered a lot about ballistics today. Um, yeah, we kind of went off off the rails a little bit, but, um, you know, it is what it is. But uh, anyways, before we go, we got something coming up, guys. And we're actually going to put a link um, uh, in the uh, the notes for this event. So on November 19th. This year, Brett Jones is uh, taking his private jet up to Boston, and him and I are going to be teaching an iron cardio workshop together. Um, it's going to be a morning of kettlebells and fun. Um, pretty much, I'm just going to be Brett's sidekick, and I'm going to let him do everything because uh, yeah, I don't know much about kettlebells. Anyway, so, but honestly, uh, we're going to have some fun. If you want to hang out with Brett and I on November 19th, there's still a handful of spots left. I, I will say, I'm not joking. Like I think half of the spots are already filled at this point. Um, a lot of people from our gym, uh, look, if you want to come hang out, spend some time, you know, go over some movie quotes. Uh, we'd love to see you, uh, November 19th at my gym skill of strength. Brett's going to be in town. Uh, we're going to be having a lot of fun and, uh, we look forward to seeing you guys there. Like I said, we're going to put that in the notes, but if we don't see you, that's okay. You can still give us a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to. And you could share this with your friends and your family and um, anyone else that you uh, you like. If you don't like them, then don't send it to them. So that's all I got. Jones, close us with a quote. I just threw that on him. I see what he comes up with. Power is about patience. I like it. Your swings, your cleans, your snatches, your jerks. It's about having the patience to actually be powerful i'll stop there i feel like we need like a gong like <laughs> like that's it all right um we didn't talk about oreos that much like we thought we were going to but regardless thank you guys we appreciate you and uh remember power is patience and uh oreo if you're listening we do need a sponsor so if you want to sponsor us, Oreo, we're gonna we'll we're gonna we're gonna drive sales. I just totally made that up. Anyways, guys, we appreciate you. Brett, good to see you, my friend. And we will Thanks, see sir. you on the next episode. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're gonna ask you for a favor. Please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast.